Welcome, learners and learn-it alike, to help teach. Hello and welcome to our community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co-lead, Mihai Kovasser. I'm also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Today, I am very excited to be introducing to you all our group episode to tie off this first part of our podcast series. I am excited to have all of my co-leads here that have been featured on episodes before to put a bookend on this and really uh, share some interesting discussion over the next half an hour or so uh, on the things that are important to us and really, I think, drive home why we're doing this project. So I'm, I'm very excited to have you all here today. I think uh, I'll do a bit of a round robin introduction here, get you all to tell us who you are, remind us uh, what we've talked about before and where we've heard you. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to, to get into this together. So I think I'll start off with Peyton. Hi, my name is Peyton. I did the first episode and I talked about mostly being in the Canadian public school system and how it negatively affects me as I am in a wheelchair and has a physical disability and that people don't use the appropriate language that we should be using today. Thanks so much. Pass it off to Maggie. Hi, my name is Maggie, and I'm a 22-year-old student living in Kamloops, BC. I was in episode two, where we discussed sports and physical education in school for youth with disabilities, as well as building community and finding your niche. Thanks so much. I'll pass it off to Elise. Hi, everyone. My name is Elise, and in the episode I was on, Oh, well, okay. I should start with, I'm a student also living in Kamloops, BC, and in the episode I was in, we discussed deaf culture and history, as well as the social versus medical models of disability, as well as living with service dogs and university. All right, perfect. And uh, Alexis, if you'll wrap it up for us. Hi everyone, my name is Alexis. I'm 21 years old and I'm an advocate and writer living in Red Deer, Alberta. And in my episode, we talked about living with rare genetic diagnoses, chronic pain, transitioning from public to online learning, as well as attitudinal barriers that individuals with disabilities face. Thank you so much. And just as a reminder, my name is Mihaiko Vassar. I am an 18-year-old student at the University of British Columbia in Kelowna, BC. 
Um, I also live with a physical disability and amongst other things, I now host a podcast and I'm very excited to have you all here to talk, uh, to bring us all together and really share, I think, what's vital about this project and this initiative, which is that we're all here to share our stories together and to make sure that we uh, really build on that sense of community that we all uh, know and love and that, you know, we can really bring forward our message in uh, a great way altogether. So, well, to get started on this discussion, um, there's there's sort of a subject on our mind that uh, I'd like to bring up here. I think all of us have talked about this in a, in a variety of capacities over our discussions in the past, and it's something that is unique to every student with a disability, but that also can have a really big impact. And I think that we all have some things to say about it. So why don't we talk a little bit about missing school? Uh, I know that this was mentioned in uh, your episode, Alexis, as well as uh, Maggie, I think you mentioned it briefly, but uh, I think that's something that we've all experienced in different capacities. So um, actually, since that was in your episode, Alexis, why don't you start off and tell us a bit about what that means for you and what, what that looks like generally for, for students with disabilities, though, of course, as I said, it's unique for everyone and uh, maybe your, your personal experience with it as well. For sure. Thank you, Mihai. So for me personally, I missed a ton of school all throughout middle school and high school, and it is different for everyone with disabilities. But for me, it was missing school for doctor's appointments. It was missing school because I live in a relatively rural area, so I need to drive three hours one way to go visit my specialists anytime I have an appointment. So it's like a whole day that you're losing there. And then I also missed a lot of school just from the effects of living with complex chronic illness as well. In addition to treatments, being in the hospital, point is there's a lot of reasons we can all miss school for different things. And I think the biggest misconception that I faced with this is that unfortunately I had some educators who believed that because I wasn't at school, it meant that I didn't want to learn. Or it meant that I was like, there was this rumor that went around that I was off going to parties or something during the day instead of going to school, which is the funniest thing. Like, I was at the hospital having testing to find out if I had the same life-threatening heart condition that I had seen almost kill my mom. And they're here telling me, like, that I was off partying. So that was an interesting time. Curious. As you say, I think there's a lot of reasons for us uh, as students with disabilities to have to miss school. But then also, as you say, there's a lot of misconceptions that come around that. Would anyone else like to jump in on this? I mentioned their their personal experience with this. Yeah, for sure. So I had a very similar experience to Alexis where um, I live in a small town and uh, my treatments all were in Vancouver. So that was a six hour drive each way for treatment or appointments or checkups and so anything like that and this was before telehealth was a big thing so telehealth coming in during covid has definitely changed that because now we have easier access to healthcare services but um before that uh, it meant at least three days missed school so one day to drive down one day of appointments and one day to drive back and obviously not only are you missing school and the content but you're also missing that social interaction with your peers and um, kind of as Alexis highlighted, it definitely takes its toll. And so um, 
yeah, it's a really important thing to acknowledge that we all have different experiences, especially when you're in like a smaller, smaller or rural area. It's um, a huge barrier to get treatment when you have to travel so far. Um, I, I live in Nova Scotia and I have missed a lot of school time because of surgeries and of different hospital related incidents. But um, I feel like there's a huge gap. Be a teacher thing, not giving us the work is helpful. And yes, that can be helpful in many different ways. But then it affects our mark at the end of the year, and they don't give us the opportunity to make that markup, even though we want to be at school, but we physically can't be because of her disability or health condition. Yeah, that's a super interesting point you bring up there. I think a, a couple things to note there. First of all, that we talk a lot about the experiences that we have in school, but it's not as often spoken about the times that we're not there, right? And I think that, as you say, Peyton, there's a lot of different strategies that um, different educators will choose to use in order to help that situation that may or may not have um, their intended effects. Because as you mentioned, uh, Alexis, you know, we want to learn, right? Like we're there in school for a reason. Otherwise, we wouldn't be a part of it after a certain age, right? But it can be very difficult sometimes to have that desire met when there are things keeping us out of the physical classroom. Uh, but it's not the same for everyone, right, Elise? Yeah, no. I mean, for me, being deaf, I didn't have a whole lot of appointments to go to. I mean, occasionally, perhaps an audiologist appointment that I had to go to. Um, I did have a teacher of the deaf come to my school for a period of time and he would pull me out of class and we'd do a little thing for a bit. Um, but it was never, it was always a, a seen as a positive for me because I got to kind of skip class because it didn't happen enough that uh, I was really missing anything. And for me, you know, in class, I was already missing so much that to not have to sit there and kind of pretend to listen was actually a really nice break for me. So, yeah, for me, it was a really different yeah and i think that's very interesting that you mentioned that um because missing school is something that can happen because we're not there but as you just mentioned it's it's also possible to miss school when we're right there in the classroom i think that's something you all have expressed interest in talking about is the fact that missing in or missing out on the content of a class and, and the educational experience in a classroom doesn't have necessarily to be tied to not being there, but even when there aren't the right supports present in the classroom, it can be quite the same. Um, I don't know if anyone would like to to pick up on that and, and talk about that from their own experience. I can talk about it a little bit. With my physical disability, I need an EPA or an EA um, to assist me in writing and other physical tasks during the day. Um, the school board, definitely in Canada, does not have enough of them and does not really ever pay them enough 
for people to want to be an EPA or an EA because it's a lot of work on them to write down what the teacher has on the board because they already went to school and they don't want to do it again. But then they have to write or do something for another person. And I think that I miss out on a lot because there is not enough help given to me as I'm in junior high and they want to push for independence, which I am very passionate about having independence. But there's a fine line with independence and not being able to do something. So if my teacher, like in English, if my teacher has a full thing on the board and says, copy this down, I can't copy that down in five minutes. That might take me um, 20 to 30 minutes and it takes the rest of the class 10 minutes and it, and she erases it because everybody else is done. And that's what I face when I don't have an EPA. But I am not yeah. a high needs person. They don't call me a high needs, so I don't have a lot of, I don't have 100% of the time as an EPA, like for having supports, I guess. I see, I see. Yeah, no, I have to say, when I was in a physical school, they actually used my funding to hire a, a teacher's, I think, I don't remember if she was a teacher's assistant or an educational assistant, but she was apparently hired to help me um, and kind of like Peyton touched on, you know, write down what the teacher, not what was on the board, but what the teacher was talking about or to sit next to me and tell me, kind of, you know, being right there so I could lip read easier, what the teacher was talking about. But that was news to me. I didn't find what her job was supposed to be until years later because she never actually helped me. She just helped the teacher with whatever the teacher did. Accommodations that should have been meant for me was just kind of used for other people and all of my school funding that was supposed to be used for me was just used for other people and then they would be like, oh, we have nothing in the budget for you and just kind of told to, you know, deal with it, kind of go into the whole, you should be independent thing, which if it's something I cannot do, like I cannot hear, I cannot regrow my cochleas as, as much as stem cell therapies come along, I cannot do that. Um, yeah, so I just, it's, it's this kind of, there's this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps idea when it comes to disability that is just not possible to happen, you know, for me, for it happened for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, that attitude right there, that we're all expected to just pull it up by the bootstraps, just suck it up, do it, you know? And I mean, if I'm literally in surgery in another country, having like three heart surgeries in a 24-hour period, I'm sorry that my math assignment is going to be late. <laughs> like, my bad. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's <laughs> you have such a great way of, of putting those, but that, it's totally true. And, you know, that that's super interesting to hear coming from all of you, because I've always straddled kind of a line uh, between the chronic disability and completely normal, quote unquote, normal group of students in my school experience, because um, though I do have a physical disability, it doesn't impact my learning. Uh, I don't have to use, or I didn't after a certain point, uh, have to use walking aids. Um, or if I did, they weren't, you know, intrusive, so to speak. They didn't involve a lot of extra, um, accommodations within the classroom. And so my experience with this whole idea of independence was actually kind of the opposite. It came from me and I was held back from gaining that independence uh, because of safety concerns, protocol, like, you know, bureaucratic concerns, or as you say, uh, maybe there's just something that there's something I want to do. And there's just that obstacle in the way that makes it impossible, right? In that particular moment in time. So it's really interesting to hear you all talk about it from the opposite side of things, um, being pushed to be independent when you can't cross that threshold um, on your own. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're talking about there's this idea, there's, I feel like there's this divide that happens where you either get pushed to be quote-unquote normal and don't need anything at all or kind of pushed onto that disability pedestal where you have to kind of stay disabled and nice. I totally agree because I get protocol shoved at me every day because they say you're breaking safety code for doing something on your own. And I say, well, if you don't have somebody for me to help me, sure, I might be doing something safe that I know what to do. But since the school board doesn't think it's safe, I'm not allowed to do it, which I think is, first of all, stupid. But yet again, I have to when I'm in school, I have to follow their procedures. And I think they need more education on what is safe and what isn't safe. And it's not just one person. And it's not just out of a science textbook or a cure te textbook. Everybody's different. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I've also had a very unique experience. It's kind of similar to Mihai in that I walked that fine line between um, kind of in between surgeries, I was not really considered needing to need all that much support. But then um, after surgery while recovering, I definitely used wheelchairs and mobility aids, forearm crutches. And so I did have that unique experience where I kind of flip-flopped in between needing support. And it wasn't until high school that I realized how supports when given to me could be very helpful and so i never really had like accommodations until grade 9 10 and for me it was surrounding chronic pain so i was always just pushed to you know sit in the chair um do my work and i made it work for many years but it wasn't until i got these accommodations to be able to like get up and walk around during class or to like have a different type of chair that was more comfortable um, did I realize how much of an impact it made on my schooling and on my education because I was able to concentrate and not just have to be constantly adjusting and trying to get comfortable and um, 
you know, getting a little bit extra time on assignments or quizzes so that I didn't have to worry about trying to push through those really uncomfortable moments was so much help to me. And so I think it's really important that even things that you might not visibly see is still there and very prevalent for the person. And so being able to accommodate that for the student is super important. Yeah, for sure. What I'm what I'm really hearing here from all of you is that really for each of you, independence and support means something different, right? It has a different kind of impact on how you act. It has a different impact on how how much you get out of your educational experience. And it means something different with regard to um, how much you miss when you're in or out of the classroom. So having that appropriate combination of support to either be independent or support in the form of accommodations to help you through it uh, really makes all the difference, even in very little changes or adjustments. So um, yeah, I, I think that that's really super interesting to, to hear and the to hear from all of you a bit of a different take. And you know, Mihai, it was actually through the media that I learned accommodations were available to me. And so having like that role model is also super important. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point there. And, you know, I, I kind of want to follow up on that. So tell us a little bit about that role model of yours in the media. What is that? What did that mean to see your needs explained, demonstrated to the masses, whether or not they actually lined up with your reality? To, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there was kind of a point in my disability journey where I kind of tipped over the line into needing um, supports full time. And it, it wasn't something that I could really, I want to say hide, but not that I was necessarily hiding before, but I, something that I embraced and um, wanted to like advocate for disabilities. And so I started, the first thing I did is I started following like Instagram accounts and that type of thing. And it was very validating to see other people who are like using their lived experience to share to other people and as a young person looking up to that it was like wow like there are some things that i've learned through their experience that i can implement into my life to hopefully make things a little bit easier and so um just through a combination of things i started approaching like my educators and being like would we be able to maybe give this a try um it's something that i saw work for somebody else with chronic pain and uh that was super important in my journey because finding those those experiences um, through media and seeing that it's worked for other people, then I was able to find a combination that worked for myself. I also can touch on that a little bit. Uh, um, I, when I was younger, I did not see people in the media like me um, that can, like, I don't see people with disabilities on the media very often, but when I do, I really like to see what accommodations and what they have to say because every person is different. And I think seeing people in the media really boosts their confidence. And um, about six years ago, I started following um, a person on YouTube. Her name's Molly Burke, and she has... Uh, eye disease and she's blind but it showed me that I'm not the only person being bullied in schools because you don't see that every day because I live in a smaller 
plagues not a lot of people in wheelchairs or that has disabilities. I'm seeing a lot of uh, smiling faces at the mention of that channel. So uh, first of all, you're welcome for the free plug. But uh, uh, who wants to jump in on that and uh, and talk a bit about that particular channel? I can share a little bit. Um, Molly Burke was kind of the first person that I've seen as well. And that um, it was when I went to We Day when I was in grade eight. And uh, she spoke there. And that was kind of the first disabled person I had seen in person, um, kind of getting up there and advocating and sharing her lived experience. And so, um, yeah, super exciting. I think that she's very well known across most um, disability like advocacy groups. And so, yeah, I'll let my, my other people share a little bit because I think she's a super important role model. Molly Burke is super cool, but her dog is cooler. That's what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Both of her dogs are amazing. I watch her videos right when they come out because honestly, I love her guide dog. They're so cute. But Gallop. she talks about, yeah, uh, Gallop's a retired one, but Benix, her, her newer guide dog, is um nice to see representation because my friend has a service dog. And it's not represented very often. And I know guide dog and service dogs are different, but they're seen as a dog and a cute, fluffy animal and not as a medical piece of equipment. And I think she brings that across very well. That's super interesting to hear from all of you. Actually, um, Interestingly enough, talking about accommodations and, uh, you know, the capability to get involved, um, I, uh, We Day happened, well, I was still in elementary school, uh, and I didn't actually go for a lot of reasons, but mostly because of, you know, it involved a lot of travel, and I wasn't sure that I was able at that point to take a school trip um, and, and travel to see this in person and be independent and successful in that regard so um goes to show you that uh had that maybe been a bit more um had i been more confident in in uh the school's ability to take me along and support me um maybe i would have been there to to see that but anyway it's uh i'm, I'm really glad that you're all mentioning um this advocate of yours that that you release uh you know that you look up to and that uh represents disabilities well in the media but i think there's a lot of times when that's not really the case uh i'm not sure if anyone has a particular story they want to share there about some a time in the media when disability was not uh, quite so accurately depicted i'll go to peyton and then alexis on this uh, um no it's not really shown in media a lot definitely not on tv shows because it's almost like they want to put it under the rug and want to hide it from children. It's definitely not in children's shows. Um, it might be in more adult or more older kid shows, but definitely not in, like, definitely not in TV shows or modeling or anything like that. 
I think there's this unfortunate term within the disability community that we use called inspiration porn, where people with disabilities are turned into uh it's like you ate cereal in the morning, how inspirational. It's like incredibly patronizing, very insulting, and it's basically making us an inspiration and saying like there should be no excuses in life, people should be able to do anything they set their mind to. And interestingly enough, like that is a pr very problematic statement that is not true. Like, for me, there are literally things that exist in the world that I cannot do. That is fact. Like, it doesn't matter how much support or what aids I would have, there are things I cannot do. And so to say that, like, that's just an excuse or something like that is really harmful for those of us who hear that. And it's an unfortunate spin that I see in the media a lot that even like really well-meaning folks with disabilities will go on the media and then the media spins it in this way as to make it an inspiration for able-bodied people to make them feel better about themselves. And that's not like the point of representation, of course. And for me, like, I never saw anyone like me um, in the media growing up. I've never actually seen anyone with one of my rare conditions at all on any TV show in existence. Um, but another one, my heart condition actually was featured on an episode of Bones a few years ago. And they kind of... <laughs> was one of those things that there were some good points, there were some not-so-good points. I wrote an article about it back when I was about 14 or 15 because of how, what I had thought about it at the time, and essentially there was one point in the show where it was kind of sort of explained what the condition is, and because it's a sudden arrhythmia death syndrome that can cause sudden cardiac arrest and sudden death, um, one of the main characters had said something to the effect of, well, that's a horrible life. I can't imagine anyone would want to live like that. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. It's not really a want. It's <laughs> reality. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's good and there's bad. And then there's some that are a little bit more murky like that episode because it was good that people had heard about it because finally I could, like, say to friends oh, like, did you see that episode of Bones? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I think I have heard of that then. It was finally, it was like the first time we had ever seen it on media, and I think it's one of the only times as well. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, <laughs> for our audience here, we have a bit of a, uh, a visual situation going on here where we can see each other. I saw Maggie's uh, jaw drop a little bit at that mention of <laughs> representation in that show. Are you a fan, Maggie? I mean, I'm just a fan of like any representation. I mean, seeing your condition on TV is super cool. Um, yeah, although it, like Alexa said, it's not always accurately depicted. It's still very exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's important about getting our message out there is that just like any other umbrella that you'll put on a group of people, it's a generalization, right? So any any umbrella, any label under which we get placed is going to be to some degree accurate with regards to our experience, but 
ultimately the point of the generalization is that of course it doesn't represent everyone's unique experience because you can't possibly do that with a with an umbrella kind of representation like that and so when we turn to media and when we turn to these sources out there to get our information i think what's really valuable to note is whether or not that source that you're listening to is telling you the full story and whether or not it's telling you someone's story or whether it's making that sweeping kind of generalization, you know, with a broad brush. Um, and, and as you all say, it's really fantastic when we have people like us out there doing great things that we can look up to and uh, be inspired by as long as we, we be certain of exactly what that's saying. I think that that's a really great place to turn towards the end of our episode here and talk a little bit about our key takeaway. And it's something that we've been talking about across the episode. If anyone uh, would like to t- do the honors here of sort of describing what we want people to take away from this experience, I-, I would love to have one of you do that. I think that for a teacher to know that everybody is different, even though that we use the umbrella term as disabled or disability or differently abled, special needs, um, that we're all different and ask for our specific needs and don't assume. Yeah, every student is definitely unique. And ultimately, this series is designed to help you build kind of a toolbox as an educator. It's not a manual to memorize as to how exactly to use this script to treat all of your students with disabilities, but it gives you kind of some tools to implement to start making change in the classroom that fits your particular students the best. Absolutely. And I think that throughout this series, we've done a lot of telling as to you know, what you could possibly do, what you could implement in the classroom today to make it more accessible and inclusive for all to bring that that tagline back. But really what we want to achieve, the vision of this project is that whoever is out there listening, whether you're an educator or a student or a member of the general public, um, that you start to get a bit of an understanding from our specific unique experiences of what it's like to live life the way we do and what can be done to make sure that each of us has the opportunity to give our best contributions, not just in the education system, but in every institution in our society, regardless of the obstacles that stand in our way. And the more we can minimize those obstacles and the more, as you say, we can build our collective toolbox to help each other out and make that a reality, I think the better it'll be. Well, I am delighted to have had you all here to wrap up this opening, if you will, to this podcast series. Um, by all means, we intend to keep this going and continue to share our messages and give teachers the tools that they they need to make the classroom more accessible. But I think this really ties a nice bow on the end of it and, and brings us all together. Thank you so much for coming on, and I look forward to talking to you all another time. You've just heard another episode of the Community Audio Project, Help Teach. I'd like to give a huge thank you to my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, Maggie Manning, Elise Doucette, and Alexis Holmgren, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community meta for this project, Shaw Kutsia, and to our professional contact helping in the editing process, Chester Hall. My name is Mihai Kovasar. I'm your host, editor, and producer for this podcast series. 
And this wraps up our opening collection of episodes funded by Every Canadian Counts. Thank you so much to them and their hashtag Rising Youth Initiative for funding this project and for allowing us to put our vision for change out into the community. As promised, you can now find all transcripts, episode notes, and links to other resources on Transistor.fm or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions about the show or would like to get involved, now get in touch at helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. That's helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more great conversations and key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.